0: Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition.
1: Hello, it's Louise Mathieu, a Nutritional Therapist. In this podcast, we're looking at the fascinating connection between how we consume sugar and sugary foods and eating behaviours. And in particular, in this episode, we're looking at the connection between starting children's journey with sugar and how that formative nutrition and that early introduction to sugary foods and what impact that can have on adult eating behaviors. So the subject today is all about sort of forming connections and, and making patterns and links with the foods we eat and, and our future health and our future relationship with food. And as an introduction to this conversation around sugar, I often just like to say that it, it's not people like myself, nutritional therapists, or people who are working in nutrition, dieticians, et cetera, it, we're not just being mean and we're not just being killjoys when it comes to sugar we are actually there's a reason behind our dislike of sugary foods and there's so much science that goes into consumption of sugar and health and that's why I wanted to do more information on this sugar series so today is about forming connections but there are other podcasts which will have linked subjects around sugar and health and the the whole scope of the impact sugar has on us. And it, it it's not just that we're being mean. I'll often have people say to me, oh, it didn't do me any harm. And it's okay if it's a treat. And I must hear those things at least once a week. And and I always say we can't compare like for like anymore. Um, so it never did me any harm is is not really the same as it won't necessarily do any harm today because our food landscape has changed significantly Um, in some areas the food landscape has changed beyond all recognition of what food we used to eat so we can't say it never did me any harm therefore it will be okay today because we're not comparing like for like and as for the treat element well, I do have very strong feelings about linking the word treat to foods that biologically do us harm, because there's many connotations that then um, link those foods with positive associations um, instead of how, where they should be, which is treat with caution and approach with care. So the language we use is is also quite important when we're talking about approaching foods as as treats and that that, but that is a whole other subject, but it's very linked with sugar because sugary foods are often the foods that are labelled up there, put on a pedestal of being the treat foods, but that is for another day. Today, we're looking at those early connections and it's important to get in there early on that most adult eating habits, patterns and negative eating behaviours relate to the foods consumed in childhood. So that's not only the types of foods, but the patterns of food. So often when I work with with grown-ups, I'm working mostly on emotional eating because that's what drives most of our food decisions. It's certainly what drives the food landscape to sort of work on those weaknesses, if you like, because that's what all the advertisers do. They work on those weaknesses with hyperpalatability palatability and foods to make it appealing, to make it, you know, to make you really want it. It's all deliberate to work on that element of emotional eating. Those emotional eating habits and patterns had to start somewhere. And most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time they start in childhood. So often an adult is an emotional eater, seeking comfort from food at various times, could be stress, could be happiness, could be illness, could be sadness, any reason. Seeking comfort from food, that is likely to relate back to once or multiple times in their childhood being comforted with food. Now we've all done this, we've all either been the subject of this, or we've inflicted it on others. So we have something to make us feel better, to cheer us up, to pick a child up. We'll give them something that we consider, or that those people who consider them treats will give them something considered a treat to make them feel better. And that's not just a, a one-off, let's have this food item. That creates all sorts of connections in the brain that link an emotional feeling to a piece of food. And that's really important that we remember that. So I'm going to repeat it. (laughs) That that when we do that, we are linking an emotional feeling to a piece of food. And then consider what the food is likely to be. Biscuit, sweet, cake, ice cream, something of that ilk, which biologically is doing us no good. Nutritionally, it's not offering us anything. It's not making us support our immune system if we were doing it to, to cheer someone up because they felt un- unwell. It's not naturally balanced in our moods if we're trying to cheer somebody up, etc. It's not biologically having a benefit, but it is creating an association and it is creating a food pathway. And that is linking an emotion to a food. So if we fast forward several years to when that child who's been comforted with that biscuit, say they fell over. And they picked them up, gave them a cuddle, gave them a biscuit to make them feel better. Years later, in the future, they're a grown-up there, stressed at work. They have a deep-rooted food connection somewhere in their brain that's remembering a time when they were stressed. It's all subconscious. We don't physically remember the actual incident. We just It's all subconscious in our brain. They link feeling better, comforted. Um, rewarded safe, etc. with the biscuit. So an adult often will crave a food item or just something sugary. It doesn't have to be the exact same food, because they crave that feeling of comfort, of safety, of being looked after. So it's really deep-rooted and it's really important that we remember that no food, particularly the foods regarded as treats, will ever in any circumstance fill any emotional void. In fact, the biology makes it a lot worse. So when we look at comfort eating and the whole pathways of connections of memory, so when we have any food memory and we're linking it with a food item, we need to try to balance the language we use. So instead of comforting with a cuddle and a biscuit, we cuddle and comfort with a cuddle and then we maybe move on to have some food that will biologically make us feel better. So we have something that is nourishing. And then the nourishing food is the food that creates the association and the memory. So it's not directly at the time of comforting, like sitting on the knee and having a biscuit, but it's after that event. So the memory that's created is of the cuddle and that that you will then crave affection, perhaps when you're stressed um or you will crave talking to somebody or you know talking it through whatever the situation has been you won't automatically crave the biscuit food can come second to that child because we know that children like to eat most of them anyway so food is often something that we will use but it's making sure that we're careful as to how and when we use it so that we're not creating the pathways that link food to emotional voids because that is a really big issue with many many grown-ups <laughs> so if we can stop those pathways from happening, it's a lot, lot easier than having to reboot them when we're grown-ups, because that takes a lot more work. So how do we how do we kind of recreate the situation with children and how do we kind of make sure that we're we're not creating these pathways? So what we really want is that grown-ups are not emotionally driven to make food decisions. So what we need to do in childhood, this whole process of not being emotionally driven to make food decisions starts in childhood. What we need to do with children is disassociate food from comfort, reward, bribe, treats. Because all of those things then create the grown-ups with, I'm I, I deserve this or, you know, I deserve this cake. I've earned this cake. Putting the cake on a pedestal is something that's worthy of a sort of that status, whereas biologically it isn't. Or I, I know I feel guilty because, and flip that to the negative, I feel guilty because I've eaten this cake or this biscuit and that guilt is then quite detrimental to self-esteem. So we need to disassociate all emotional attachments like that, that do start in childhood. So we need to make sure that when we're talking to children, we're not using language like let's have this to cheer us up. Let's have this because it will make us feel better, especially if those foods are cakes and biscuits and sweets and things like that, because those are strong associations that will lead to adults subconsciously linking food memories with emotional situations, which is what we'll be encountering many of when they're grown-ups. And we need to be able to get through the many situations as grown-ups without relying on food or having a damaged relationship with food. And it's not always relying on food. It's sometimes just having a very unhealthy relationship with food and that can be either eating too much or not eating enough. It goes both ways. And linking emotion to either of those is really important because it it then makes the situation worse. So if we can in childhood try to eliminate some of that, that's really, really helpful. And I can't stress enough just how important that really is. So we know that specifically adult Negative eating behaviours do start in childhood. So we've we, we've looked at that. So just to redress that that is really important to remember. Be careful of the language that we use around those foods, why they are. Cool treats, they're certainly not in my mind. And if you listen to the Halloween special, you'll know more about why I think that. But not putting them up there on a pedestal because the emotional pull then goes quite deep-rooted and will form those emotional attachments to the grown-ups when they are seeking something to fill an emotional void. So let's look at a bit of the biology that actually goes into forming those patterns and those connections. So as I say, most of the time the treat foods that people sort of tend to reward with or comfort with tend to be high in sugar. So sugar is one of the ingredients that tends to pop up in in most processed foods. So if you haven't got a sweet tooth, but you have a a savoury tooth and you tend to reward more with, say, pizza or some form of takeaway, you're likely to still have a fair amount of sugar within that savoury food item because within processed foods, it's surprisingly high in many dishes, even the savoury ones. So the sugar causes an automatic biological response because sugar is one of the main drivers, I suppose, in an artificial sense. There's lots of natural drivers, but in an artificial sense, it's one of the main drivers for the activation of the brain's pleasure and reward center. And in that pleasure and reward center of the brain, we release dopamine. Dopamine is a hormone that makes you feel sort of happy and alert and It kind of makes you feel a bit high, if I can say that. So a neurotransmitter that makes you feel high and sort of alert and happy and all of those sort of what we would assume are positive things. But when it's driven by sugar, the dopamine is activated by sugar as opposed to the natural foods that release dopamine. It's it's a bit more false because sugar is fast acting. So it's straight into the bloodstream. And then, of course, with blood sugar high, there comes a, a blood sugar crash. So the dopamine response, you eat the sugar and you have a dopamine response. The sugar activates that. And we have this brief period where we've had some pleasure, et cetera, and we've felt slightly better about things, maybe, maybe not. depends on the situation, but perhaps you felt slightly better about things. But then comes the blood sugar crash. And that will very quickly mean that you're looking for that feel-good feeling again. And so one of the problems with dopamine in the pleasure and reward center of the brain is that it's also the part of the brain that is associated with addictions. So when you have that drop, the tendency is to try to recreate the hit. And because the nature of the foods are designed in a way to be hyper palatable, which means you don't feel naturally full from them, you don't produce the hormone leptin that tells you that you're full you don't feel particularly satisfied from eating them because you haven't probably even had to chew them very much so you haven't naturally felt that you've had much and then when the blood sugar crashes you kind of automatically want something else and so it could be more of the same thing you could be one of these people who have lots of sweet things and then suddenly decide they need something savory to finish on and then and then they need to go back to having something sweet so it could be that kind of pattern but many people will then have something else to try to recreate the first feeling. But the problem with dopamine is that you won't get the same hit from eating the same amount. You'll need more next time, which is where the addictive tendency part comes in. So you'll have one biscuit the first time and feel okay. But the second time you have one biscuit, you won't feel anywhere near as good. So you'll need to have two to get the same dopamine response. And then the next time you'll have to have three to get the same dopamine response, which is where some of the problems, as you can see, start to come into play because we're needing to eat more of the same thing to get anywhere near the same feeling of, of the hit that we had. So dopamine creates this sort of addictive tendency towards foods that are traditionally called treat foods, but biologically are not doing us anything that is considered a treat to the body. There's no nutritional benefit and there's no emotional benefit because what they're actually doing is shaping pathways that link these foods with temporary high and they're needing more to fill that void. So eating more again. And then often, not always, but often that comes with feelings of guilt and I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have had all of that, etc. And then that's obviously not good for overall mental health when we start to feel that way about what we've eaten. So going back to how all that equates to childhood, those dopamine responses and that activation of the pleasure and reward center of the brain, they happen in children as well. And children are not always able to articulate how they feel, especially very young children under five who unfortunately have way too much sugar in their diet. So if they have had an emotional situation where they felt a certain way and they've wanted to, you know, they've been rewarded, no no fault of their own, they didn't cause that situation, but they've been rewarded with a biscuit or something and they've maybe felt a bit better and a bit comforted, but then they've had that blood sugar drop and they've wanted something else and they they start asking for another or for something else and and maybe the grown-up doesn't see that that's a biological response and they think they've had enough and they think maybe they're being a bit, often children get called naughty when they have, I suppose you could say tantrum, I don't like the word tantrum, but when children have um, a situation where they really want something like a sweet or a bag of chocolate or something that they've seen that they want or a plate of biscuits that they're not allowed and they have a response to that and they have a situation where they can't control their feelings and they start crying or stamping their feet or, you know, because they want that. They often get called naughty, but it's actually a biological response to that dopamine response. So they are responding, they are trying to fill their own need and their own emotional void by having that hit that they recognize subconsciously as making them feel momentarily happier. And so they are only responding to a biological situation. They are not responding deliberately to you know to be annoying or to be naughty. It's a biological response. And so... With very young children, managing that biological response is very difficult because they're very young and they can't articulate how they're feeling very well. So when we just sort of give very young children sugary foods in the hope of comforting them or pacifying them or or rewarding them, we're actually creating a situation that is making their biology like a roller coaster of emotions that's very, very hard for them to manage and control. And so whilst I, often get called mean um, for saying children under five shouldn't have sugar. There are lots of very good reasons why I think that to be the case, why I think that under five shouldn't have sugar. They have underdeveloped detoxification systems, so they can't eliminate the waste as much as as grown-ups can in terms of the, the ingredients that the body doesn't need they are underdeveloped, so they're not quite ready to take in the influx of additional ingredients that the body doesn't need to metabolize for energy, etc. So they, they are not so good at that. And they're obviously not so good at articulating their feelings because they're very young children, they're not going to be. So then they often get told off or suppressed in the expression of this emotion, which is a biological response. And so when we say... No sugar for under fives, or please try to limit the amount of sugar for under fives. It's not just that we're being mean. We can all manage sugar in moderation, but sugar is very hard to moderate for various reasons. One is the food industry, and that's another subject. But it's all it's in so many of our foods, including foods that are advertised for children. It's in there in in you know really high proportion, and that's very hard to avoid. But also, children like these foods because they're exposed to them. And once they're exposed to them, the pathways of the palate development, preferring that sweetness, that synthetic sweetness, starts to take shape. So they start to prefer them, they start to recognize them, they start to create the associations. Once they've been introduced, it's very hard to take them away again and say, let's only have them once a fortnight, once a month, et cetera. It's much easier to not introduce them than to try to, to sort of have them on a very rare basis because the biological response is going to be happening. It's going to forming the connections and the, the sort of the desire to have those foods. And a very young child is not going to be able to understand that they, they have this high, this response from the food but they're only allowed that once a month. They're not really going to be able to appreciate or understand that because the biological response is going to still be there, telling them that they want it. And so, for me, under fives can't manage that, and in my opinion, shouldn't shouldn't have them. We're much more able to manage that post five because they've also not had the palate development. So they've not had the expectation of sugar and synthetic sweetness embedded within them from a very young age. They're able to manage it better once they're over five. But there are many reasons why I am more sort of mean about it. And throughout the Sugar series of podcasts, we look at the other influences that sugar has on on our developing health. The episode. Today, just to recap, has been mainly about the The biological connections that sugar can form. So when we have emotional eating, adults, comfort eating, stress eating, whatever you want to call it, we we often see 97% of the time it's down to patterns, habits, behaviors, language that's happened, taken place in childhood. So it's a very influential time. Nutritionally, before the age of three, it's an incredibly influential time for a child's brain development throwing sugar in the mix is not helpful it does all sorts of things inside the brain as we said activates the pleasure and reward center there's the dopamine response issue which is you have a hit then you need a bit more to get the same hit etc and that is linked with the addiction center of the brain so it's a big subject and it's one that I'm very passionate about because I see the health consequences of sugar in our children not just today but the health consequences that they will be walking into in the future. We're looking at that more in the next sugar podcast, where we're looking at sugar and health in all the different physical ways it affects our health. Today's been more about the way it impacts on our sort of neural pathways and connections and building those food habits. So a bit of a whistle-stop introduction to that, what is a very big subject, but just to recap it's not just nutritional professionals being mean when we say to limit the amount of sugar in a child's diet that's all for me for today
0: you've been listening to louise's health kick podcast with louise masier discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book how food shapes your child Or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production.